Good to be with you. My name is Ryan, uh, lead pastor here at Petaluma Christian Church. We're so glad you're with us this morning. 1998 was hands down the best summer probably of my life. Uh, and it wasn't because of some super cool job or red hot romance, uh, but because I had the opportunity to share the good news about Jesus with eight different uh, young men that summer who decided to trust their life to Christ. And I wasn't in ministry, I wasn't a pastor. Uh, in fact, I was a summer camp counselor, the lowest paying summer job of them all. I, I would pray for these guys and I made a sign-up sheet where people could sign up to, to kind of meet with me and talk about spiritual matters or whatever. So, so these guys would sign up. And because I knew they were specifically wanting to meet about Jesus, I simply got to share the good news about him on little scraps of paper. I, I tore up little pieces of paper. I visually drew out for them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we talked about it. This is specifically what I would do, as you can see here up on the screen. On one side of the paper, I drew a cloud to represent God, God who is spirit, but also perfect, just, and full of love. On the other side of the paper, I drew a human's uh, stick figure to represent human beings, right? And human beings are not God. And in fact, I wrote down a couple scriptures next to the human beings. Uh, Isaiah 53, 6, all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And also Romans 3, 23, all have sinned or rebelled against God and fallen short of the glory of God. So you had this big chasm that I would draw between God and man. God, perfect, uh, perfect full of of love, just man who is not those things. And there's a chasm in between. And I I went on to explain how through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he bridged the gap between God and man. Wonderful, right? Uh, And I I would say, depending on the person, I'd pop the question. First of all, have you trusted your life to Christ? Because if you believe, if you trust that Jesus has done this for you. He's lived for you. He's died for you. He's been risen from the dead. And you, you believe that, trust that. You have passed from death to life across that chasm. And depending on the person, then I'd pop the question, which side of the chasm are you on? The side of death or the side of life? Which side are you on? Now, how would your neighbor respond if you were to pop that question to them? Pick a side, death or life. My guess is even if they were interested or at least curious, they would either be either brutally honest with you and say, I guess death, I don't believe this stuff, right? And then the conversation would stop at that point. Or feeling the pressure because they want to be one of the good, good guys, right? They'd pick life, but the conversation would probably stop there, wouldn't it? It'd be hard to keep going on. The reality is the young men I was talking to that summer in 1998, they were kind of pre-packaged. They were in the Jesus bubble at this Christian summer camp. They could pinpoint the time and place they came to make a decision for Jesus at that picnic table. But I realized pinpointing a time and place where you trusted Jesus is actually a pretty unusual experience. If you follow Jesus, consider your own story, right? We've been all, a lot of us have been taught to talk about the moment you trusted Christ, but for most of us, it was a series of moments, wasn't it? All right, so it may have started with a, a Sunday school teacher who remembered that special detail about your life, 
and it meant so much to you, right? Um, maybe it was uh, the first time you failed and realized you couldn't make up for it, right? You couldn't just fix it. Or it was a time when you're, you're learning about the universe, how vast it is, and thinking there has to be something beyond this. Or it's the first time you really got curious about who Jesus is. Most of us view our trust in Jesus as a process or a journey. In fact, many of our friends, neighbors, co-workers in Sonoma County also view their lives as some kind of spiritual journey. Some kind of spiritual journey here in Sonoma County. Because spirituality is still very important. It turns out Jesus also has this understanding of salvation, not simply as a pinpointed moment in time, but as a process or a journey. In fact, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, John is, uh, uh, Jesus is approached by a man on such a journey, a Jewish teacher named Nicodemus. You can tell, and we'll see this in a moment, that he's curious and that God is, is beginning to work in his life. So we're going to observe how Jesus interacts with him and what he teaches him. So here we go. John chapter 3. There was a Jewish leader named Nicodemus who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. One night, he went to Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent by God. No one could perform the miracles you are doing unless God were with him. I am telling you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can a grown man be born again? He certainly cannot enter his mother's womb and be born a second time. I am telling you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. A person is born physically of human parents, but is born spiritually of the spirit. Do not be surprised, because I tell you that you must all be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes. You hear the sound it makes, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. It is like that with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay. So now imagine you're sitting across from me over a cup of coffee. Your name is Nicodemus, and it's clear by the way I'm looking at you, the posture, the fact that I'm wearing a dress shirt, that I have something important I want to talk to you about. And I read these same words to you. Truly I say to you, Nicodemus, remember that's your name, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Friend, you must be born again. How would you respond? Let me tell you how people have responded when asked. People have said, that's weird. <laughs> that's off-putting. And are you part of a cult? And should I be concerned about my safety? Uh, if I was to say to you, Friend, you have to be born again. It is a strange phrase to hear for someone who has never heard that phrase before. 
And I've asked, trust me, despite the brilliance of Jesus' teaching in John chapter 3, I confess I've stayed largely away from that central exhortation to someone and saying, hey, you got to be born again. Because there seem very few occasions where it would seem like any practical help to say that to someone who has not yet trusted Jesus or certainly heard much about him. But that's changed for me. And maybe it can change for you also. I hope you'll see with me this morning how practical Jesus' teaching is about the new birth. He's, he's describing salvation as many, if not most, of us have experienced it or will experience it, Lord willing. And that is as a process. As a process. So what you're going to get this morning is a text, a tool, and a take-home. We're going to look to our text. From this text is going to proceed a tool a tool you can take into relationships and actually use to start a spiritual dialogue. Okay, so first we're going to talk about our text. As we look to our text, we hear that Jesus is describing what is now called the doctrine of new life or the doctrine of regeneration, in which Jesus teaches us three truths. Jesus teaches us three truths about this doctrine of regeneration. Number one, only God can do it. Only God can do it. The word translated born is used eight times here, eight times in just these few verses. It comes from the Greek word ganao, which means to generate. The, the word again comes from the Greek word uh, anothen, which means above or again, again or above. So the idea is generated from above. Generated from above, meaning it's done to you. That's why the Bible describes us when we are born as babies as spiritually lost, spiritually blind, and spiritually dead. Those are all words that indicate we got nothing. We have no ability on our own to seek God, completely helpless. God has to do the work. That's number one. Number two, Jesus teaches here that we don't notice that work at first, but we, seem, we soon grow to notice its effects in our lives. So we don't notice it at first, much like conception and pregnancy. We don't notice, but we soon notice its effects like pregnancy. So look at me again in, in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. You don't know where the Holy Spirit has come from. You don't know where he's going next with your life. It's a mystery. But buried in verse 8 says, but you hear its sound. You sense the effects of new life, which is just like pregnancy, right? If you look at the stomach of a woman who's pregnant, if you look at her, you can see the effects of new life. You better know she's pregnant first, though. <laughs> All right? If you touch, if you, if you touch a woman's stomach who's pregnant, you'll, you, will, you will feel the effects of new life. Also, let me encourage you to ask permission to do that first. <coughs> Please just don't say my pastor told me to touch your stomach. But you see the effects, right? You don't see the new life, but you see the effects. That's what Jesus is trying to say here. Third, new life shows itself through calling and trust. If we were to keep reading, we notice that Jesus follows this kind of three-step process. He begins initiating life, we think, in Nicodemus here in verses 1 through 8. Step 2 Calling is God's effective invitation, which is usually accompanied by a kind of wrestling. 
wrestling with the truth. And that's Nicodemus in verses 9 through 13. Look at verse 9. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? <clears throat> Pardon me. How can these things be? He's wrestling with the truth. God is calling him, but he's wrestling with it. The third thing we would see in this passage is trust or beliefs ultimately required, which Jesus teaches in the very famous John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever trusts in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Right? So we see all three things, probably initiation, a new life, a calling, and then Jesus making it clear, but you got to trust him. All these things are going to make more sense when I give you the tool that proceeds from the text. But first, let me indulge, you, indulge me a little bit more and a little bit more teaching. Nicodemus' first response to Jesus is, I think, a little bit misunderstood. Let's read it again in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, after this born-again stuff, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And I, many think that Jesus, uh, that Nicodemus is either being hard-hearted here or he's actually kind of half-ridiculing Jesus. But I, I think Nicodemus is actually giving the most natural response to a very new claim that one must be born a second time. Imagine if you would. I, I said to you, let's fly together to Honduras, but you knew nothing about airplanes. You have no knowledge of airplanes, but I say... Hey, let's fly to Honduras. Uh, what would your response be? Your response would likely be, Ryan, how the heck are we going to do that? I'm not a bird. I cannot fly to Honduras. But since I'm a smart teacher, I would think, you know what? If I say fly, the only thing they know of in, in their life that flies is a bird. They're going to think of a bird like this, all right? When I would reveal to them right behind the curtain, voila, this airplane. And they would think, oh yeah, I get it. They both have wings, they use similar aerodynamics of a bird. I could see how that would work. Because I know this, maybe I can take a leap and get to this. Well, Jesus is a master teacher. Nicodemus knows nothing of spiritual birth until Jesus introduces it to him. And he anticipates this of Nicodemus. He, think, he knows Nicodemus is going to think of physical birth. He's going to wonder, how can a person enter a mother's womb again? To which Jesus reveals, voila, behind the curtain. Physical birth parallels spiritual birth. Like the bird with the airplane. Hence, Jesus says in verse 6, that's which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's which is born of the spirit is spirit. They parallel each other. If you were to read on in verse 12, I've told you, Nicodemus, of earthly things. If you don't get that, how are you going to believe of heavenly things? I've told you the earthly things so you can get the heavenly stuff. They parallel each other. So in the book, in his book, Beginnings, uh, an author named Spiritual, uh, an author named uh, Stephen Smallman shares a really cool tool he's been using for the last 25 years called the birth line. And we're going to draw that this morning. It's going to be up here on the screen. All right, so I'm going to guide you through it. Hopefully you can see it, or if you're listening uh, to the podcast later, I'll try to describe it as well. It starts with a line from going from left to right, all right? At the end of that long line, you're going to draw an arrow, all right? About an inch above that line, so draw this with me if you would. You should have notes uh, and a pen with you this morning. You're really going to want this. You're going to have to use it later, so trust me. 
Some of you are so obstinate, you're just like, I'm not going to draw this. I'm not going to do it. Whatever. All right, fine. Try, if you would, to draw this. Uh, above the line, you're going to put spiritual birth, about an inch above the line. Below the line, write spiritual birth. Or sorry, physical birth. Above the line, about an inch spiritual birth. Below the line, about an inch physical birth. And on the very uh, left side of the line, above the line, the first thing you're going to write is new life. And right below that, you're going to write conception. Because when God works new life in you, it's like when an egg is fertilized in a baby. Conception. That's the analogy Jesus is making. Spiritual birth is like physical birth. Above the line, next to new life, you're going to write calling. And then below calling, you're going to write pregnancy, the period in which new life shows itself. All right, so next to calling, above the line, you're going to write conversion, colon, express faith. Conversion, colon, express faith. And then below the line, you're going to write delivery, like the delivery of a baby, colon, a baby cries. The first time we see new life appear, baby cries. The first time we see new life appear in a person, they're expressing faith in Jesus Christ. To the right of conversion, express faith, you're going to write growth, colon, milk, and solid food. And then beneath the line, you're going to write growth, colon, milk, and solid food. See, the whole Bible lines up with this. New Testament actually describes the way a person grows in new life, uses actual, that actual terminology, uses milk and solid food. If you, read, if you go on to read the rest of the New Testament, it talks about this multiple times. So you see this theme of how spiritual birth parallels physical birth. Now, during a recent summer, I drew this on a napkin, for over 20 persons, Christians, skeptics, the mature, the unsure. I said, I had a project to do. Will you indulge me? I drew this out. I explained it briefly. I said, Jesus Jesus says it's spiritual birth in a person. It's just like physical birth. And here's how. And then I had each person just put an X wherever they think they currently are in that journey. That's it. And there are three practical advantages to using a birth line when intentioning and initiating an intentional conversation about spirituality with them. Number one, it's a dialogue and not a monologue. Unlike the bridge illustration I used previously, unlike sharing my testimony with someone, both of which are wonderful, God uses this to immediately direct the conversation so they, other person can share. Not just me sharing, they're sharing. A true dialogue without it slipping into a monologue, right? And if you've ever tried to share your faith with someone, it feels like you're going on and on like a monologue, right? They're sharing, but I'm also sharing where I put myself on the birth line. I can tell you the result is a minimum 15-minute conversation lasted up to an hour just talking about the birth line. Number two, second advantage you get using this, authenticity without embarrassment. The other person, especially the interested and the unsure, felt like they could be real without being embarrassed. He or she can acknowledge, hey, God's doing something in my life without feeling the pressure of saying, pressure of saying hey, yeah, I'm for sure a Christian. Oftentimes, it feels like the way I and others talk, you're constantly saying you're either in or out. You're either in this thing, Christianity, or you're out. And that puts a lot of pressure on people when you talk to them about your faith. 
To some extent, yes, that's ultimately true. You're there now. Ultimately, you do have to make a decision about Jesus. But in the meantime, there's room for God to be initiating, working, calling. But you're not ready yet to trust your life to Christ. All right? Number three advantage to this is it minimizes condescension. We just plowed through the winter holidays right in December. What's the hardest group of people to talk to about your faith? Family, right? Typically it's family. Because if you talk to them about it and they reject you, you're going to burn that bridge, right? And why might bridges be burned? Because you run the risk of offending them, doing major damage. What if you paint them as being non-Christian when they've really trusted their life to Christ? That's going to be offensive. What if they aren't a Christian when you've always assumed they are? Well, that's problematic too. The birth line accommodates both Christians and non-Christians alike. You let them know your, hey, let them know your church is doing an exercise. Just tell them that straight up. If your church has asked me, to, asked me to do an exercise with my friends and family, where would you put yourself on this? Mark an X. I love to just hear. I want to encourage you actually right now, take a moment and mark an X where you stand currently on this line. Where would, where would you be on that? Maybe, maybe you're here this morning, you don't even know why you're here. Or you're, you're tuning in this morning on our live stream, you don't know why you did. You're intrigued. Put a little X or put a question mark near conception slash new life. Perhaps you're, you're, you're living just to make yourself happy, but something keeps bringing you back to church. Or, or you have doubts that you're wrestling with the Jesus. They need answering, but you're working on getting them answered. You're, you're wrestling. God is calling you. You're in the calling stage. I want to encourage you too, by the way, if you're in that stage, the God who began a good work and you will see it to completion. Maybe you're ready today to express trust in Christ for the first time. Maybe you already have or you've hardly grown. You know, and you're just in that stage where your faith's still fragile. Perhaps you're cracking over the Bible, cracking open the Bible for the first time in a long time. You're, the first time you've expressed love to God through song you're enjoying the fellowship and people praising God around you, but it's scary. Maybe you're experiencing that necessary milk of, of beginning to grow. Some of you can't keep growing on milk, though. God's calling you to use your spiritual gifts to serve. He's calling you to, to pray with and for someone, to apply God's truth to areas of your life you've previously considered off limits. You need to be growing through solid food. Those are the areas you might consider. Now, if you came with someone this morning and you feel comfortable, even now, perhaps you want to show them where you put the X on your sheet of paper. And go ahead and do so, because this week's take-home for all of us is to use the birth line to start a conversation with that person and maybe one other person in your life. Very low pressure. Start with the person maybe you came with or someone you know well. And you'll find that no matter where you mark that spot, where they mark that spot on the birth line, it's going to generate, start a conversation. It's actually a very intuitive tool. It's very simple. So simple, in fact, a child can grasp it. I'm going to show that to you now. Is there anyone here, any young person this morning with a younger brother or sister? Any young person here with a younger brother or sister? Kamani, Kamani, could you come forward then? I want to ask you if you can understand this. 
All right. I'm going to give for you a microphone. Do you mind sitting here? Is that okay? Okay. And I'm going to get you a microphone so we can all hear Kamani. Can't see her? Sorry. <laughs> okay. So, Kamani, you have a younger brother or sister? Yes. You have two younger brothers and sisters, right? You have a yeah. younger brother and younger sister. And um, how old are they? Two years old. Two years old? Can you speak? In, do you mind speaking in the microphone? Two years old. Three years old? No, yeah, three. Three? Yes, what are their names? Esther and Samuel. Esther and Samuel. That's awesome. Do you like them? Yeah. You do? Okay, good. Do you remember um, when your mom was pregnant with, with Sammy and Esther? You do? Mm-hmm. Um, how did you know that your mom was pregnant with them? She had a big belly. She had a big belly? <laughs> All right, because otherwise you wouldn't have known, right? Because did she start having the baby when the big belly showed itself, or was it before then? Um, it was before. It was before then, wasn't it? Then she had the big belly. Okay. Did it take a long time for the baby to come out of her tummy? Yeah, it was a nine-month pregnancy. Okay, so it was a process of nine months. Okay, uh, had they grown since then? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Um, when they started to grow, when they were first babies, what did they eat or drink to grow? Milk. Okay. Do they still drink milk now that they're three, or do they have something else? Um, Esther likes drinking milk, and Sammy likes drinking juice. Juice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do they eat other things? Yeah. What are some of the foods they like? They like fruit and vegetables. Oh, nice. So some solid foods. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Kamani. You did awesome. Let's give Kamani a round of applause. Thank you. Great job. All right. So she showed us this is not hard to do. All right. This is so, so no excuses here. No saying, Ryan, this is too complicated. This is too hard. This tool follows the new life of a baby. So if you took health class in high school, you get the idea, Right? Same thing. For Nicodemus, in our story this morning, salvation was a process also. Perhaps God began initiating new life in him as a member of the Sanhedrin, as a young man being exposed to God's holy law. If not then, then certainly during this encounter with Jesus in John 3, where God seems to birth new life in him. The next two times we see Nicodemus, God is continuing this process of salvation, as we'll see in this clip. So there was a division in the crowd because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. When the guards went back, the chief priests and Pharisees asked them, Why did you not bring him? Nobody has ever talked the way this man does. Did he fool you too? Have you ever known one of the authorities or one Pharisee to believe in him? This crowd does not know the law of Moses. So they are under God's curse. One of the Pharisees there was Nicodemus, the man who had gone to see Jesus before. According to our law, we cannot condemn people before hearing them and finding out what they have done. After this, Joseph, who was from the town of Arimathea, asked Pilate if he could take Jesus' body. 
Joseph was a follower of Jesus, but in secret because he was afraid of the Jewish authorities. Pilate told him he could have the body, so Joseph went and took it away. Nicodemus, who at first had gone to see Jesus at night, went with Joseph, taking with him about 100 pounds of spices, a mixture of myrrh and aloes. See what's happening here, right? First we see Jesus, uh, Nicodemus encounter Jesus. Then we see Nicodemus defend Jesus, further open to him and the truth of what he's saying. And then we see Nicodemus, after Jesus' death, his devotion to Jesus. John chapter 7 and John chapter 19. For Nicodemus, salvation seemed to be a process as well. And who is a Nicodemus in your life? Often it's someone who has spiritual interest or a religious background like Nicodemus did. Sit down with them, presented them the birth line, ask them where they put themselves. For some people, they're in the stage where they're more open to learning more about your life, open to church, open to Jesus. The kind of openness that Nicodemus displayed when he defended Jesus before the religious leaders, he clapped back towards them. Some are even closer. They seem devoted. They seem devoted like Nicodemus did to church, perhaps. Maybe they grew up with it. Perhaps they see all the good effects the church has had in their life or in the life of their children if they haven't. Sit down with them, present to them the birth line, ask them where they would put themselves. I read an article this past week of someone I really respect who reminded church leaders that far and away, the two most effective ways to reach people for Jesus are personally sharing your faith with them and church planting. So friends, we are not a church plant, but man, we should act like one. We should act like one. Even, even in the last six months, some of you have joined us on the journey because you have a heart to reach your friends, to reach your neighbors, to reach your coworkers, to reach your family members with the good news about Jesus. And the birth line is a tool that can help you and me take that next step of reaching them. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, um, thank you for taking an otherwise complicated process of new birth and making it simple for us. In John chapter 3, comparing the process of a person's salvation to physical birth, which is something we can understand. Thank you for doing that. Thank you, Jesus, for my friends here who don't expect the quote-unquote professional Christian, the pastor, to do the work of converting people and presenting them uh, the good news about Jesus, that we realize this is a team task. This is a uh, teamwork that we do, which is each of us initiating conversations with our friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members about the good news. And here's one way to talk about a spiritual journey. Hey, this is how Jesus describes a spiritual journey. He says it's like birth. Where would you put yourself? Help us start those kind of conversations, God. Help us trust you that you're working in them and you want us to initiate them. Give us the courage to start one. It may sound weird or silly. Um, help us if we need to say the church has asked me to do this. And just help us watch what you do. We ask this all in your name. Amen.